following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Our scripture reading this morning is in Isaiah and chapter 50. If you would join me there in scripture and follow along as I read in whatever translation you have, Isaiah chapter 50. Giving you a moment to turn there, Isaiah 50. Thus says the Lord, Where is the certificate of your mother's divorce, whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? For your iniquities you have sold yourselves, and for your transgressions your mother has been put away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that I cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Indeed, with my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink because there is no water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with sparks. Walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks you have kindled. This you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Interesting switching back and forth between the Messiah and the uh, idolatrous people of Israel there. But if you stay on your toes, you can follow it pretty well in your reading. Amen. May God be blessed with the reading of his word. I can't believe it's already time for me to preach here, but here we go. Say on, on, he says. (laughs) Let's turn our Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew. Matthew in chapter 6. As you know, I've been doing a series of preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, mostly Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. We're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in this series, and last week I was asked a question as I had invited uh, you to ask about the matter, uh, in this case, of prayer. And I said, well, what better way for me to continue my series in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 6 since we come to verse 5 which in my Bible has the heading, The Model Prayer. Perhaps you have known this as the Lord's 
prayer. This is not technically the Lord's prayer. This is the prayer that the Lord instructed his disciples to make. This is the disciples' prayer, more commonly called the Lord's prayer, but we won't make that a big deal. It is a model or a template. Let me read, starting in verse number 5, and may this be an encouragement to your souls this morning. Matthew 6 and verse 5, And when you pray... You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, who are these you people? These you people are people who have repented, people who are interested in true righteousness, people who are pursuing that Pharisee exceeding righteousness, talked about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Those who desire to have the kind of holiness that God calls for in Matthew 5, 48, that we must be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Those who recognize that we cannot have that kind of righteousness, thus we, uh, by ourselves, that is, thus we need to repent. We have so much to turn away from. That the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is coming. We do that, and he has said, I have died for your sins, and I have risen again from the dead. Believe in me that you may have life. I read an interesting thing yesterday uh, about a fellow named Gresham, J. Gresham Machen, who was giving a lecture in Chicago, a large audience, and at the end a reporter asked him, well, doesn't really matter what a person believes, does it, as long as they're sincere in their beliefs? Let that sink in for a moment, and then let this answer sink in. If you think that it doesn't matter what a person believes, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Does it matter what you believe? Sincere or not, it really does matter that you believe the right content. That was the verse that Mr. Machen quoted, and I thought of another one that was uh, akin to it, and I'll try to find it here in John chapter 8 again. Jesus said this, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. It does matter tremendously what you believe and, of course, how you believe it, if you believe it truly. The Lord Jesus says you must believe in order to receive eternal life. He who believes in the Son has life. He who does not believe in the Son does not have eternal life. So we call you to believe in the Son. These are the you that he's talking to. You, when you pray, go into your room, verse 6, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Matthew 6, now in verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. 
In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, as we begin, let me just highlight in your attention another portion of Scripture, which is not in Matthew. It's actually in Luke. And it's in Luke 11. And I'm going to turn there. You don't have to. As long as you promise me you're going to pay close attention if you don't turn there. Uh, Luke 11. It's a different circumstance here, but the Lord Jesus gave the same teaching here. It says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, you know, when he was done praying, that one of his disciples, one of those you people, one of those people who believe in him, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He gave the exact same prayer again. Notice that Jesus modeled for them a life of prayer. This induces the question by one of the disciples who was concerned about how, how do I pray like that? How, teach us how to pray. What are the principles of prayer? How should I do this? Uh, he said, you know, John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. Will you teach us how to pray? The desire to pray and the sense that it is needed is instinctive in the true believer's life. But I think it's not as instinctive for a new Christian to know how to have a prayer life other than the idea to cry out to God and ask for help. For corporate prayer meetings, perhaps you've had the, the human difficulty of what I call uh, from another um, area altogether, uh, another discipline, mic fright. You know, you see one of these things here, and it looks very ominous to you because it means you're speaking publicly and you're in front of people. What about that in prayer? What do I say when I pray? I can't speak in public. I'm not even sure if I should pray out loud. I've never prayed out loud before. That's the case for some people, my friends. Far more important, though, than these human concerns is the spiritual concern in terms of your connection to God that prayer represents. You might wonder how to pray to God, what to say, how to say it, with what manner do you come to God, what kinds of things are okay to ask, is it okay to ask? Lots of things that you may think about when you think about prayer. So I'm going to share a few principles in answer to the question that I received last week from just by way of introduction to this message, and we won't get to the actual body of the prayer in Matthew 6 until probably next time. But for this time, we'll look, be looking specifically at verses 5 through 8. And uh, as I introduce those verses, I ask first the question of my notes, as you can see there, from the bulletin. By the way, I think there are bulletins on the back table, both sides here, if you want to grab one of those. If you don't have one, you want to follow along in the notes, feel free to go back right now and get one. You uh, 
please feel free to do that. Don't feel like you're interrupting me at all. After receiving some basic Christian teaching, a Christian knows that God knows everything. And he has planned everything. So a prayer, a question about prayer then comes up. Well, why should I pray? If God has everything under control, if he's already set everything to be in place uh, as it's going to be, then what's the point of prayer? Does prayer make a difference? Why should I pray? Well, I'll give you some answers to that. Number one, prayer is commanded by God. If you don't understand how it works, why it works, or any of that nature, you still know that prayer is commanded by God. In fact, the Apostle Paul, writing at the behest of Jesus Christ, said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. There's nothing uh, to overcome that command. It's a very simple, straightforward command. Pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. Be a person of prayer. Some have translated that as. It doesn't mean that you have to stop all of your activities all of the time in order to be a person of prayer, but you carry on in your life doing your responsibilities, praying along the way, concentrating on the work you must do, praying as you have opportunities, and so on. Prayer is commanded. Prayer is also, secondly, assumed. It's assumed in the life of the believer. Check out Matthew chapter 6. And verse 7, it says, and when you pray, Jesus just assumes that you are going to be praying. When you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, it's assumed. Thirdly, prayer is modeled by the Lord Jesus Christ. We've already alluded to this in Luke 11. When he had finished praying, evidently his disciples were observing this prayer, at least the end of it. And they said, boy, we need to learn how to pray more like that. And so they asked him to pray. But look at Luke chapter 6, or listen as I read it to you, Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. Very interesting that the Bible says these words. Now it came to pass in those days that he, Jesus that is, went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. You ever had an all-night prayer meeting? Try to have an all-night prayer meeting? Even stay up a little late to pray or get up early to pray? How about Mark chapter 1 and verse 35? Mark 1 and verse 35. So that verse there before that we just read said that he went out and was praying all night. Mark 1, 35, it says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary pray place, and there he prayed. At least some people knew about this. They were able to write about it and put it into Scripture. And now everybody knows about it because it's in the Bible for all these years. Jesus modeled prayer. So prayer is commanded. It's assumed. It's exampled by Christ. It's also modeled throughout the Bible. All the holy people of God prayed. Find somebody who didn't. Think of Abraham. He prayed. Isaac, he prayed. Jacob, he prayed. Moses prayed to God. You remember that dear woman named Hannah who prayed twice in the opening chapters of 1 Samuel, Lord, give me a son. And the second chapter, thank you for the son that you gave me. Hannah prayed. Samuel prayed. 
fact, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, far be it for me to sin against God by not praying for you. He prayed often. David prayed after the giving of the Davidic covenant. He prayed to God and said, God, who am I that you bestowed upon me this great blessing, this great promise for ages and ages to come? And of course, David often expressed prayers in the Psalms, didn't he? Many, many Psalms. We don't even need to make an argument about that. Solomon, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6, where he offered prayer to God with all of those as sacrifices at the temple, lengthy, lengthy prayer, and Solomon many times prayed. He probably needed to pray a little bit more towards uh, the middle and end, or, end part of his life, and he had a few problems there. We see prayer by Ezra in chapter 10, Nehemiah in chapter 1, Job in chapter 16, Hezekiah praying for his life in Isaiah chapter 37, Daniel chapter 6, three times a day going to pray at which time he was put in jeopardy of the lion's den because he prayed. Daniel chapter 9, he prayed for the ends of the nation as he saw that the uh, end of the captivity was about to come upon the nation of Israel and people would start to be going back to the land that God had promised them. Jonah chapter 1, you have, you have sailors, pagan sailors praying to Jonah's God to deliver them from the storm. In chapter 2, you have Jonah praying in a very and most unusual location, in the fish's belly. But he prayed and cried to God and said, God's salvation is of the Lord. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse number 1, you have the prayer that Habakkuk offered to God in response to God using the Chaldeans to judge the people of Israel you have the church exampling prayer in chapter 4 after they were persecuted and they ask God to give them boldness. The elders in Acts chapter 6 of the early church, remember what they said? They said, select some deacons to take care of some of the things that need to be done so that we can give ourselves to the word and to prayer. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 was a man full of prayer and alms giving to God, and God answered his prayer by sending who? Peter. Peter at that time when Cornelius was revealed that information is in Acts chapter 10 on the top of a roof, common place for them to go to get out of the heat of the day, praying, and God showed him a vision of what he should do. And then in Acts chapter 16, the last in my list, you have a bunch of women who got together to pray at a certain place in Philippi. And Paul found them, and he preached the gospel to them, and, and Lydia and others were saved out of that meeting. And thus began the church of Philippi from a prayer meeting. Hmm. Prayer is commanded, it's expected, it's modeled by Christ, exampled by all the holy people of God in the Bible. Don't you think you ought to be involved in prayer? Prayer makes a difference, often has been said. But I thought about that this week in my study. How does it make a difference? Does prayer change God? God's immutable. His nature, of course, doesn't change. But it does please God when his people pray to him. Does prayer change the events in the world? That's the kind of hinge point upon which that earlier question was asked that everybody thinks is kind of a, a gotcha question, a very tough question to answer. 
Of course, from God's perspective, he knows what the events are going to be. He knows the future, just like the past. And so nothing is going to change from his decreed will. But from a human perspective, with respect to how events seem to be headed, we can pray and ask God to intervene, and they will change from our perspective. Of course, they never change from God's perspective. Prayer makes no difference in God himself or in the events that he has decreed. I mean, he doesn't erase those events from the history book, which is the future book of the world, and change them. If God doesn't change or his plan doesn't change, well, what does change? What about you when you pray? Do you change? Does prayer make a difference in your life? Yes, because it expresses dependence on God. It helps me to move away from self-sufficiency, turns my thoughts Godward instead of inward, upward instead of downward. Does prayer make a difference in other people's lives? If you pray for me, it makes a difference, I'll tell you. If I pray for you, I hope it makes a difference for you, if you know about it. We don't know about all the times that we've prayed for each other. I think prayer is more for us than it is for God, you know. Prayer does make a difference. But let's move to the idea, not now just why to pray. We've addressed that quite thoroughly. Why, uh, why to pray? But let's move to how to pray. First of all, especially if you're a young believer, a new believer, just start praying. Imperfect prayer By the way, have you ever prayed a perfect prayer? Huh. (laughs) No. Imperfect prayer, as imperfect as it is, if done in faith toward God and and love for Him, is still good prayer. Nobody can offer a perfect prayer. God is pleased with your halting, slow, imperfect, imperfectly worded prayers. Can you imagine? Think of a parent. I'll get to this illustration again later, but... A child who can't even speak the English language properly, who asks in their simple way of asking, do you deride them for not being able to say so with perfectly formed grammar? Absolutely not. God is so loving and kind, my friends. He's pleased with prayer offered to him. Think, think he, he would love to have prayer from the people of earth more than if they go far more than if they go and pray to some idols. God appreciates prayer to himself. The false gods can't even answer prayer, and it just frosts God, so to speak, displeases him when people pray to other gods. He's pleased with your dependence upon him, for that is the truth of the situation. Now, so just start praying. Say, well, what what do I say when I pray? Well, obviously prayer is like asking. You know, we say prayer is asking things of God. But don't just ask things from God. If you're a believer, you have a personal relationship with God. And you don't just ask for things from any other person with whom you have a personal relationship, do you? You talk, you express thanksgiving, you express to God confession, to God praise, and you ask as well. Those are all parts of prayer. So, As you pray, use your noodle to think about how shall I pray, not just to ask, but to confess and to praise and to give thanks and all of those 
different ways that you can do that to God. He's worthy of that. Thirdly, ask in the name of Christ. Go to John chapter uh, 14, please. John 14. John 14 and verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Ask in my name. John chapter 16, again, I want to reinforce this. John 16, 23. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, but now you're going to ask, is what he's saying in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. This was a new thing for the disciples because they had not asked in prayer, in the name of Christ before this. No prayer up until this chapter in the Bible, in all of the prior thousands of years of history, had been asked in the name of Christ. Think about that. And now today we pray in this way routinely, all the time. There's a special privilege there to be able to pray in the name of Jesus before God. Now this is not a formula. It's not a tack-on. It's not a magic trick. It's not an open sesame to God. It's not a rabbit's foot. Through Christ is the only way that any and all favor can be transmitted to us. Only through Christ. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. You, 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 when you ask for something in the name of Christ, you ask by way of everything that Jesus is and everything that he has done. When you pray in the name of Christ, what you're saying is, I believe that the thing that I'm say, asking for is worthy to be attached to the name of Jesus, or the name of Jesus is worthy to be attached to it, like it's a prayer request that fits, is, it comports with, it's in accord with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that it would honor him if that prayer were answered favorably. When you praise God or confess sin or give thanks in his name, you're approaching God in the only way that he can be approached, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. So just start praying. Don't just ask. Do some other you know, things as well in your prayer. Ask in the name of Christ. Pray in the name of Christ. That's the way you have access to God. And just pause here. Don't pray in, in the names of others. No other saints. Don't pray to Mary. Don't pray to St. Thomas or St. whoever. Okay? The scriptures instruct us how to pray. We are to pray to the Father directly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the prescribed way that we pray to God. No other way is prescribed for the Christian to pray to God. Fourthly, ask according to God's will. 1 John 5, verse number 14. 1 John 5 and verse number 14. 
1 John 5.14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. This has thrown people for a loop because they feel that they don't know what God's will is. So how can we pray for things according to God's will if we don't know what it is? Somebody has said before, I pray the prayer that always works. Thy will be done. It's kind of a tautology. You know, it's kind of a, uh, it doesn't say anything because God's will, of course, will be done. But I want you to think about God's will perhaps in a little different way than you have before. Recall that there are two facets to God's will. The first is what we call his decreed will. That is, all things that will come to pass or that have come to pass are God's decreed will. We might pray that John Doe will regain health after his heart surgery. But we don't know in advance if he will regain health or if he will take a downturn and leave this life. So we cannot pray in accordance with the decreed will of God because we don't know what it is. But don't worry about that. Like, you know, how can I pray because I don't know what's going to happen? Listen, if you already know what's going to happen, why would you ask? Okay? You don't know. Do not worry yourself about praying in agreement with what you do not know and what you cannot know, okay? There is one special case, though, I'd like to address, and that is on some occasions we can pray in accordance to the future, what I'll call for sure, will of God, the decreed will of God, because we know that some prophecies are going to come to pass. If we pray, for instance, like the Lord teaches us here, thy kingdom come. Well, it's coming. We don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. Okay? But if we pray something else like, you know, <clears throat> Lord, stop all this stuff that's leading to the tribulation and the mark of the beast and all of that sort of stuff, God's not going to answer that prayer because that stuff is going to happen. It has to happen. Why? Because God's Word says it is. So if you pray that something in God's Word won't occur, you're on the wrong side of the prayer equation here, okay? That prayer will fail because it is against what God has promised will occur. You don't want to pray in disagreement with what God has revealed in the Bible, and that turns us to the second facet of God's will. We can't pray in accordance with what God has decreed if we don't know what that is, but we can pray according to this second aspect of God's will, and that is what God commands is also his will. It is not his decreed will, but his prescribed will. This is what's in the Bible. Godly principles, God's commands, God's desires for his people's holiness, and things of that nature. These items may not in fact occur, but they should. This is what is supposed to happen, but doesn't always happen. So, for instance, this is the will of God your sanctification. Do you always participate responsibly in that will of God? Or do you frustrate that sometimes? Sanctification should occur. Purification should be the pathway that we're on. But sometimes we fail. 
And people for whom we pray sometimes fail as well if we pray that they would be sanctified. But if you pray in agreement with these principles, like here's what God's desire is for believers, you know, I desire that they be filled with the knowledge of his will and all goodness, that they would be sanctified, that they would keep themselves holy, that they would be self-controlled and all of those character virtues that we know from Scripture. That's God's will that we pray in accordance with. If you pray in agreement with those, then you're praying according to God's will. That is how you know that you are following the Apostle John's instruction to ask according to God's will. Okay? What this means is, well, let me, let me give you a case study in just a moment. God's will is specified in Scripture, isn't it? And it also instructs us as to the manner of our prayers. How are we to pray? Reverently? Hallowed be thy name. Are you going to come to God treating him like dirt if you're saying hallowed be thy name? Uh, we're to pray patiently. Luke chapter 18 and verse number 1, Jesus told this parable that, all, that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. And thirdly, boldly, Hebrews chapter 4, come boldly to the throne of grace. So reverently, patiently, boldly. The Bible also instructs us that we are to seek and ask and knock. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 7, very well-known verse, I hope, to you. He commands us, the Lord Jesus does, to ask, to seek, and to knock. Okay? So we can ask for things that we don't know how the outcome is going to be. Now, you're not going to ask if you already know the answer, again, but you don't know what's going to happen in the future. You can simply ask God. God, I don't know what your will is. But I believe that asking this is in agreement with your prescribed will, how you've told us to behave in the Bible. So analyze this prayer. You know, don't let so-and-so die from the disease that he has. We, we cannot know what God's plan is for that person. Therefore, we cannot say that we are praying God's decreed will as if we know the future, or, as some suggest, if our faith is strong enough and we name it, we'll claim it. False, false doctrine. We do know, however, that God's revealed will in the Bible is that everyone does die save for the rapture. So sooner or later, if we have offer constant prayer that so-and-so doesn't die from whatever, our prayer is going to be answered in the negative at some point. It has to be, because that's not in accordance with God's will. Okay, It's appointed unto men once to die, so don't pray that that doesn't happen, because it's going to happen. But we can ask something like this, God, would you permit this person to live at this time by your mercy? Would you spare him that, that, that he may be able to praise you, that he may be able to continue to support his family, and that human suffering would be reduced? All these are good values that we should desire. And that grief would be forestalled at this time. It's okay to ask God for comfort for those, even by not allowing someone to pass. Meanwhile, you might pray, increase their faith the faith of this person who is sick and their obedience and their family and friends. May they learn how to draw closer to God through this time. 
This kind of prayer is in accordance with God's will, even though it doesn't know what the future holds. So be assured that God is pleased that we ask him instead of some other God or people or government or whatever. We look to God for our needs. Now, just because your prayers are answered in the negative, that doesn't mean that you prayed outside of the will of God. Okay? If you're following what I'm saying, you'll see that I think that is correct. The prayer may, maybe, maybe you prayed wrongly, or maybe you prayed just fine, but God answered in a different way than you had hoped. In any case, what God has chosen is always the best way. But if you prayed in accordance with the principles outlined in Scripture, then you have prayed according to the will of God. Okay? And, as I indicated with the prayer for the person that we prayed for this past week, past five weeks, God decided to do more than we asked. <laughs> Took him to heaven. Right? Now, in our prayers, we should have had that in mind. Perhaps, God, you choose not to temporarily heal this brother, but instead to permanently heal him. And if you do, thank you. Thank you for that choice, that decision that you have made at this time in his life and the life of his family. Now, let's turn our attention back to Matthew 6 as we conclude the introduction part of our message. And the, and the Lord uh, gets to tell us here directly what we should do. And he's going to tell us uh, four Way, four more ways that we should pray. I've already alluded to some, reverently, you know, and, and, uh, and, and those things that we mentioned, patiently, persistently, boldly. But the Bible here tells us four more ways. First of all, we're to pray with no pride. Second of all, we're to pray with no empty repetitions. Third, we're to pray not like the world. And fourth, we're to pray with a high view of God or not with a low view of God to keep on the, the, the no or not equation there. Remember back in chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, when you do your charitable deeds before men, how are we to do them? With the trumpet? Privately, discreetly. You don't do your good deeds for people to see them. They might see them, but you don't do it for that. That's what the Lord Jesus teaches. Just like that, he teaches us to pray privately, to pray discreetly. The hypocrites prayed to be seen by people. We ought to pray, and we might be seen by people when we pray, like the Lord was, remember in Luke 11? But we don't pray to be seen by people. That's not why we're praying. Why are we praying? I'm praying so that everybody will watch me. Huh? No, I'm praying because I have a personal relationship with God, and I have some business to do with God. I have some talking to do with Him. I have some confession, or I have some praise, or some adoration, or some request, regardless of what everybody else thinks. Remember last week you talked about another species of fearing man is wanting their approval? It's the same thing here. We don't want to get involved in that. People who pray to be impressive to others, God doesn't hear that prayer in effect. Of course, God knows what the hypocrites say because he knows everything. 
but he doesn't respond to it. He's not responsive to that kind of prayer unless it's to heighten the condemnation of those hypocrites who are slandering his divine name by treating him as a thing to gain their own reputation. Instead, the Lord tells us our prayer should be, and I think mainly, done in private. That's the point of the room with the shut door, or as some have often said, the closet, as that older translation has. This protects us. Praying privately like that protects us from our own pride, doesn't it? It takes other people out of the equation so that we cannot impress them. Now, yet the the requirement to pray privately is not so private that it prohibits corporate prayer in the church. It doesn't say that prayer can never be done in the sight of other people. How do I know this? Well, Jesus himself prayed in front of other people. Luke 11, uh, John chapter 17, John chapter 12, public prayer offered by the Lord. He offered thanks to God before he fed the 5,000. So Jesus did pray. Of course, there was no temptation in him for the approval of people. He didn't care what they thought. His care was for what God, his Father, thought of his conduct and his attitude. Okay? Praying in our church, however, is not praying in the public way that the Lord condemns here in this passage. What do I mean by that? If You, know, you might think, well, I'm not going to go to a corporate prayer meeting. The Lord told me to close my door and pray behind closed doors. My friends, this is our prayer closet. We come in those doors and those doors close behind us. We don't live stream our prayer. We don't show people how wonderful we are because we pray. We don't think like that. We're not here to impress each other. And if you're, if you're thinking like, well, if I pray, I'll be recognized as somebody who really prays well, then you need to button your lip until such time as you learn humility, that that's not how we think about prayer. We're not here to impress each other. We're here to be on our faces before God, to pray to him. And so, in a sense, this is our closet. Or at home might be your place where you go to pray privately or with your family. Those things are okay. The Lord is not is not condemning prayer with other people. He's praying he's condemning prayer to impress other people. If you have that temptation then work at it. Ultimately, you're looking for God's reward, not the temporary meaningless reward from people. Secondly, the Lord says not only to pray with humility or not, no pride, but he says to pray without empty repetition. Now, in the first part of the chapter, you have the hypocrites. Now he's going to go after the heathen, okay, two H's there, okay? The hypocrites pray to be seen by men. The heathen pray with vain repetition or meaningless repeated words over and over and over again. We think about that word heathen. We don't use that word too much anymore. It used to be a more common word in the English language. Today, I think it would be considered um, racist to use that term, uh, like it's racist to use a term uncivilized. I think those words are fine words used in a right context. Um, but 
here we're talking in biblical language about people who are pagan idolaters. That's what heathen means, pagan idolaters. They pray repeated prayers over and over again in a rote fashion in Acts chapter 19, verse 34, in the riot in Ephesus. The people there cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians for two straight hours, like a chant over and over and over again. How meaningless. What a waste of time. Okay? Go home and balance your checkbook or something. You know? Why are you crying out for two hours? Great is Diana of the Ephesians, which is false. She doesn't even exist, much less is she great. But that's what they did. The Hail Mary prayer used by many people is claimed to be the oldest and most repeated prayer ever, according to Catholic.com. And they offer some apology that is defense of why this prayer is so popular. It's basically become the de facto replacement. It's as if the Lord said, in this way, pray. Hail Mary, mother full of grace and all that. He didn't say that. My friends, he did not say that. But that's de facto what's happened with the model prayer in Matthew 6. It's been replaced. And on top of all that, saying the Hail Mary repeatedly is meaningless. Not to mention that its contents are wrong. Mary is not the mother of God. She was the one who bore the Christ. She was a, if you will, surrogate at most. But she's not the mother of God. And she, that prayer says, asks her to pray for us sinners, both now and in the hour of our death. She doesn't pray for us. Jesus prays for us. He intercedes for us. He is our advocate but not Mary. Mary would not deign to take that position and honor away from her son, her Savior, her Lord. Such repetitive prayers are meaningless because there's no heart behind them. Uh, often the Catholics, uh, converted Catholics, will, t- will say how they would sin and then go to a confessional and make their confession, and that'd be all clean, and then they'd go off and do it again. But they could just keep doing that because that's how confessional practically works. Now, I'm not saying that's the, that the church teaches that it's how it should work. Okay? I'm not that I'm being, not being that mean if you will. You know, truly faithful Catholics would say, "No, you're not supposed to keep sinning." But I'm saying how it actually works in practice for many people. Okay? Now, do you talk to people like like we would talk to God with 10 Hail Marys? Is that how you talk to people? Is that how you talk to your spouse? Repetitively, empty repetition, mindless, rote statements? No, we don't talk to each other that way. I mean, closest we might get is how we talk to small children, or perhaps a better example is pets. You say the same thing over and over to them, and they kind of get that, I guess that, combination of sound waves in their brain and it helps them to respond the way they're supposed to respond to your commands. But why would we speak to God like we speak to a pet with vain repetition? He is much higher and worthy of our best efforts at our mind to communicate with him. 
If you were thanking another person or asking them for something, would you ask them in the same manner with repeated words ten times? I don't think so. What is condemned here is vain repetition, not meaningful repetition. Pray for your siblings, brother, over and over again. Until God answers, we're going to keep praying. Paul asked God three times. Now, God said, look, no, uh, the thorn in the flesh is stuck there. You're stuck with it. You know, be glad that my strength is made perfect in weakness, he told Paul. So when, when God answered, Paul had to stop then. But he prayed three times. That wasn't a vain repetition. Okay, no empty repetition, no pride. Thirdly, not like the world. Do not pray like the world. Do not be like them, like the repetitious heathen, like the proud hypocrites. Prayer is between God and those who are related to him by faith in Christ. It's not for show. It's not a religious ritual and so on. We're to be unlike the world in that way. And by the way, this is very interesting. When he says in verse 8, therefore, do not be like them. Just take that as your mantra, would you? Don't be like those who are outside of faith. Don't be like them. Your values are different. Your desires are different. Your activities are different. Your conduct is different. The way you think is different. Everything is different. Don't be like them. Fourthly and finally, no low view of God. Do not pray with a low view of God, as if you're cajoling him or convincing him of something he doesn't know or that he needs to change his ways. Look at verse 8 again. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. God already knows everything that you need. Okay? That means that God is very high. He's higher than us. Amazingly knowledgeable, perfect knowledge, wisdom. Jesus still assumes here that you're going to ask, doesn't he? God already knows what you need, but Jesus assumes you're still going to ask. Why? Well, it's commanded. Remember we said prayer is commanded for one thing. Now, prayer assumes that God knows what you need, and God knows whether you know that. He knows what you need. Do you know that? Okay, we know that. If you do not know it, and he knows that you know it, I'm sorry, you do know it, and he knows that you know it, then why does God still tell us to pray? It's, it's, we're not informing him of any needs that we have. So just think about it in terms of salvation. Look, God knows you need salvation, right, before you come. So why doesn't he just give it to you without you asking? Would that make sense? No, you need salvation, and God wants you to recognize that and to ask for it, right? Come to him and ask for him to cleanse you from your sins. He wants us to be involved in the asking. Of course, he gives us the desire and the idea to do so. A child asking something is an honor to his or her parents isn't it? Dad, could I? Would you? Can you do this? Can I do this? <laughs> you know, like the Lord when he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Or, or uh, 
are, if you're able, I'm able, the Lord can cleanse anybody just like that, as long as he's willing. It's not too repetitious of an asking or, you know how kids are, they ask over and over and over again sometimes, or, or uh, they're asking for something that's bad for them. No, son, sorry, that's not good for you. But good parents delight in this sort of thing. Now, mom and dad might not give outright what is asked for. You know what they might do? They might guide little Junior along to use the means that are available to him to get it for himself. But they delight at his asking. And so God may not give you what you desire, like, let's say, for the church. You know, Lord, we'd, we'd love to see more visitors. We'd love to see more people come to faith in Christ. We'd love to see more people be baptized. You know how God's going to do that? Through using normal means like us evangelizing, like us sharing the gospel with people, inviting family and friends and neighbors to come to church and all of that. So we use normal means to get these things sometimes. But the asking is received gladly by God when we ask him, like a parent being asked by a child. Now listen, as I close, God has decided how everything is going to be since the foundation of the world. But he has chosen to work through ways and means, not always directly, not almost never directly through angels or miracles. In praying... You know, being obedient to this matter of prayer, you become part of the infinite interconnection of events that God uses to accomplish his purposes, which he has set down before the foundation of the world. Why pray? Well, God told us to. But we also pray so that we can be involved in his program. He has decreed what would happen. He has prescribed that we pray. And in fact, as we obey that, we show that what God decreed includes our prayer. He has decreed that you would pray. And then his reward is given to those who have willingly participated in his work on earth. So you can be involved in God's work by prayer and be rewarded for faithfulness in the matter of prayer. So does prayer make a difference? Well, yes, it does, because you're participating in that plan that was written before the foundation of the world that included all the means, all the prayers, all the events, all the contingencies that wove themselves together under God's great wisdom and power to come to the outcome that is right here. So you're praying for somebody to get saved? God put down in his book that you would be praying that prayer before you even knew you'd be praying that prayer, before you even existed. And then maybe he not only has you praying, but he has your church family joining you in that prayer. And he brings the gospel through a track that that person picks up on the side of the road. And they, they hear that, they read that, or somebody else tells them through a side channel that you don't know about, and all of those things, and he's been working in that person and giving them a dissatisfied feeling about their life. He's done all of that. He put them in the family he put them. He put them in the country that he put them. He put them next door to the church that he put them. And he put you down to pray for them so that you could participate in God's program. And thus, we show dependence upon God, and this honors him. And that's what we ultimately want to do is 
honor God in everything. So why do you pray? Well, you want to be involved in God's work on the earth? Then you pray. As for me and my house, we're not going to be asking the question, why should I pray? We're going to pray because God has told us, and there's a wonderful explanation as to how it does work. Even if we can't understand it, it works because God is God and he has ordained us to pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for this time that we could pray. Grateful for this time we could think about prayer and address some of the difficulties, some of the means and methods that we should use and to remember that we pray to a prayer answering God, a God who like a parent with a precious child, is willing to receive the requests of that child and to do the best thing for that child in response to those requests. Lord, we know sometimes we don't know what to pray, how to say it. We thank you. We haven't even touched on this, but that the Holy Spirit works in us. We can form our prayers to be in accord with the will of God when we fall short of that, which is all the time. And we thank you for that work. We thank you for a willing intercessor, an advocate at the right hand of God who shed his blood so that we could have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Thank you for it, our God and Father. May we be people of prayer in Fellowship Bible Church. Teach our children to be people of prayer and not grow weary in this doing of well before you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.